Welcome to Celluloid Citizens, a podcast about film. I'm Sean M. Thompson. I'm Brian O'Connell. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing Oz Perkins, uh, The Black Coat's Daughter, which was a 2015 film, rated R, short movie, yeah. starring uh, Emma Roberts, Kiernan Shipka, Lucy Boynton, and James Remar, and others. Yes. Uh, originally titled February, which um, got changed because A24 was like, you can't release a movie titled February. Um, but the, you know, when I watched the, uh, I watched this through download and um, it had the original title, which in some ways I think is, is maybe more suited than the Black Coat's Daughter to the, to the tone of the film. Yeah. What's interesting is they kind of play it. Uh, I mean, when I watched it, it it you know February, it almost plays like a like a title card, you know, not the title itself. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. establishing it's February because like the same way they establish the names. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Occasionally it'll be like Joan or Cat. Yeah, or they're whoever. presented in the same way. Yeah, so it's like it's almost like um, but I feel like one of the strong points of this film, honestly, is like. The mood is very, very midwinter, February. Yeah, you know, like... yeah. I think in some ways I was struck watching this this time, wondering if it isn't just like a very elaborate metaphor for seasonal depression. <laughs> it could, could be, honestly. I mean, it would be very, very elaborate, but. Yeah, it would be, it would be. But honestly, I mean, and reading interviews with, with Oz Perkins, I mean, um, you know, he's a little vague about what the um, emotional content of, you know, his his allegory or whatever is, you know. But he is very clear that it was it was inspired by like this idea that like a a time can be, you know, a state of mind or a place that you can revisit, you know. And he specifically wanted to get that sort of. um I mean, I really like, so, like, I, I think this film is kind of mixed, but um, conceptually, I really do like this idea of they're, like, sort of, everybody's left school, right? And then there are these people yeah. left in the building, and, you know, there's snow outside, and the cold wind's blowing, you know? So, it, I mean, it's it's very much about you know, this is a film that's heavy on the the atmosphere above above almost anything else, and I think it does a yeah, good job yes. of of establishing that sort of uh, cold, kind of desolate, empty atmosphere, which is probably my my favorite thing that this movie does uh, at this. Yeah, point. I would say similar. Yeah, because we both, you know, when this came out, this is what. 2015 i don't think i saw yeah, it in 2015. 2015 so that's uh what seven years ago now yeah. yeah 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 i think i saw it in in 2017 um when i was what uh 15 or so um and yeah. i really liked it back then i was really you know because i i was in the middle of my whole like witch uh horror phase um yeah and this was really i mean you know, I don't feel like we've seen um, many demon possession movies that take such a sort of sparse route to things. You know what I mean? Like, this is very, very minimal. And 
you know, usually with exorcism or or you know demon possession movies, it's it's yeah, it's very over the top normally. Yeah, maximalist. You know, you got the priests coming in and they're they're shouting and and I mean this film does hit those beats uh, for the most part, but it goes like a, you know a very almost like cryptic way of doing it where the chronology has been shuffled and everything's really kind of glacially slow paced and you know it's very um it's it's very emblematic of that sort of aesthetic that um you know we were talking about with Oren on the Wicker Man episode or of of this sort of wave of 2010s horror where the emphasis is really on this um tone building more so than the spectacle of horror I think yeah i mean well i thought it might be interesting because we both said off air, you know, there's not, there's not all that much to the film, you yeah. know, in terms of like plot beats. So I don't know if it right. makes sense to go through it that way. But no, 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 no. I do think it's interesting. Both of us used to really like this. I mean, there was a while I was listening to this in my top ten, which is like, yeah, that's pretty fairly big, right? Yeah. And I, I swear to you, I went back and you, I had read, you were like, eh. I was, I was like really and then i went back and rewatched it today and i was like i feel the same way and it's it's sort of bizarre that it like went from like i consider this to be like one of the better horror movies of the 2010s right. to now i'm just like it's good it's good i mean i definitely think it's a it helps that it's like a like a tight runtime it's like 90 minutes yeah and it has a handful of successfully eerie moments, right? Like, there's this... I love the whole boiler thing, you know? That's great. You know, when when she's bowing up and down in front of the boiler early on, you know, it's just a strong image. It's very creepy. I mean, I think uh, Kieran and Shipka in general is is very good in this movie. You know, she she's... I think I'm convinced that she watched vampire for this uh the 1932 movie because she's doing this sort of facially subtle um change you know where she's shifting from this sort of almost pinched withdrawn awkward look to you know the smiles start to come in and she starts to have this sort of you know eerie um expression late in the film you know stuff like that is very successful to me but yeah. Otherwise, I find it a little emptier than than some of the other horror films we got from that time period. I mean, it's it's almost like to me, you know, Osgood Perkins, you know, talks about this movie in the same terminology that a lot of the other directors where he's like, yeah, I'm using the genre to tell a story about something else. Right. But in this yeah. case. You know, I didn't get the sense of much of a story beneath the story. You know what I mean? It, it was almost like, because frankly, if you lay it out in a chronological fashion, this is a fairly straightforward, you know, demon slasher movie, right? Like, yeah, it is. But he's he layers the sort of portentous style on top of it. And it's good in terms of like an ominous vibe. But I don't I know. I mean, the thing is, I love Oz Perkins' style. Like, I know it yeah. annoys the shit out of some people. Like, I've talked to numerous people. Like, I actually like I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, but I've talked to numerous people that tell me it's, it's very, very slow, and I hate it. And I'm just like, I don't know, I like it. I, I haven't seen that one still. I, 
Oh yes, I remember. Uh, I I've actually seen. What's interesting is recently, or how, whenever it came out, I saw um, Gretel and Hansel, mm-hmm. which is another Oz Perkins film. And I had mis, you know, I've seen that one twice now, and I mistakenly thought like, oh, I much prefer Black Coat's Daughter. Like Black Coat's Daughter was like less Hollywood, and right. you know, it's this and that, or. But having gone back now and watched Black Coast Daughter, I'm like, no, no, I prefer Gretel and Hansel. <laughs> well, Gretel and Hansel looked um, cool to me because it was, is it, it's like, it's PG-13, right? Like, it was released anyway with PG-13, and I was like... I don't, I mean, there's not, it wouldn't shock me, like, there's not many, <clears throat> there's not much swearing. Right, right. And there's no, like, nudity that I remember, because it's, like, joy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just thought it was it was nice to see that it was, you know, PG 13, but still like a full on horror film, which I feel like we don't, you know, get <laughs> at all lately. Yeah. And it's got <clears throat> the actress who was in, um, it part. Yeah. One and, uh, um, I forget her name, but I know who. I am not okay with this. Oh yeah. Uh, which I, I love her. Yeah. So. She's really good. Uh, in what I've seen her in, I haven't seen, um, uh, obviously Gretel and Hansel, but really, Especially, I am not okay with this. I thought she was very good, but yeah, I mean, so he's yeah, he's um, on. He- but yeah, but I I do. I was gonna say um, we talked about this off air a little bit, but I do wonder how much of the well, it's that classic conundrum of like how much is that? It's like how much is we just don't like the film? How much is just that it hasn't aged well, or how much is just that we've been like, I mean literal a24 problem even though they were also the ones that put this out right they're doing so many similar projects that now we've seen seven years or whatever of very similar films and obviously it doesn't it's it's tricky because okay so like the a24 movies are all the same thing i don't believe it i don't i think the allegations aren't true (laughs) but no, it's not true. They do all sorts of stuff. I'm just saying no one can deny, you know, they've there's done a, other films like Black Coast Daughter. There's definitely a stylistic trend, not just within A24 yeah. even, but in in a number. No, it's it's like I would say most horror films yeah. now, yeah. So it's – and we should really – I mean, as an episode, we should host a symposium on this, this, this movement or whatever. But um, – there is a certain sameness to some of these horror movies where when when I was watching this, I was like, well, is there really anything here that I couldn't get in like Hereditary, for example, or or no. well, maybe a little, a bit, little bit. Not much. I think what distinguishes Perkins is mainly just the sheer minimalism of what he's doing right like he's very yeah subdued in terms of and i'm not even talking about slowness but you know stuff like when um late in the film the uh university dean or whatever he finds the bodies right and he does it in just a you know the camera moves around the room and you see like a smear of blood on the wall and the guy gasps and we cut to black you know yeah. so there's a general level of 
you know, restraint that, for example, you know, Ariaster doesn't have, you know. Would not have, but I would argue Ariaster goes for absurdism. Well, yeah, so. his is, I mean, he's doing a almost cartoon grotesque stuff at, at points, whereas this is, yeah. Yeah. But even, you know, and this even, I forgot, actually, because in my memory, this was a totally bloodless film and all of the stuff Oh, there's blood. But there's, yeah. you know, you see shots of stabbings and uh, chokings and decapitations. Not full-on decapitations, but, you know. It, so, But the fact that in my memory, you know, what this aged as was like like a work of like almost total restraint in terms of that stuff, which, which it isn't. But, I mean, I don't know. I, no. I think that what struck me watching it this time was like, I, I wasn't, I didn't feel something like deep in terms of like, you know, it's a good sort of ambient mood poem type thing. But, but in terms of like, uh, for example, the final shot, you know, I don't know if I, if I yeah. got into that as strongly as I, as I once did, if that makes sense, where. No, I, I actually felt very similar. I think what I was struck by on this uh, rewatch is that so much of it is sound reliant. Yeah. I still think, like in terms of, um, uh, I guess mixing mm-hmm. and you know sound work, it's it's definitely still high up. Yeah, the it's very well. It's doing the most of the work in certain scenes. I mean, right. I think that's the problem, though, is like when you actually are watching with the visuals. It's like I I almost feel like. There's a di- there's a disconnect. I mean, it's so stupid to say it would work better as like a film podcast yeah. thing, but it's like so much of it is sound reliant. Right. Well, I just think like for me, the example of that that stuck out to me when I watched it for this show is early on, um, they're having supper together, and there's this sort of surge of ominous music, like it's very heavy on the soundtrack and the sort of warbling. Oh, I still listen to the yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, no, it's constantly. very good. But this shot this is over is Kiernan Shipka's character is looking at an empty bowl and she sort of uh, right. straightens the spoon, right? To me, yeah. that image, you know, it's the sort of image that is like meant to be kind of cryptically unsettling, but it didn't like, the sound design was conveying such a strong feeling and then the image didn't meet that level for me, you know? And I feel like... Well, I do think this was his first film Absolutely. No, yeah. I mean, it was um, actually only released after, uh, you know, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, but it was shot first, so it's technically his debut film. Um, And... Yeah, so the thing is, like, for... I mean, you know, obviously there are people that have debut films that are, like, absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's not everyone. No. And this, to me, oftentimes I kept thinking that, you know, I feel like I would be more satisfied this with this as, like, a, a certain short film. Like, you know, it's already pretty short, but, like, I feel like... Yeah, it, it almost plays like a short film idea that he stretched yeah. out. And, yes. that, I'll give and you that's... That. Um, I mean... You know, I, I, I still don't really know how I feel about some of the chronology stuff, like, because you have these sort of three separate things, 
with uh Rose who's the first is you know the 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 normal person in the situation and then you have Joan who's on the run trying to get to the high school and we see flashbacks of her escaping a mental institution and then you have Kat who is the possession victim and um we later find out that Joan is her but but older right and I'm not sure that I mean yeah, yeah. go ahead I was going to say, what's interesting to me actually is the level of detail for a story where there's not that much to right. it. Um, if you actually like study it, though. So there's the Jen Darling story that Rose tells her. Like, yeah. She went in and saw the nurses and they're actually bald. And then the nurses killed yeah. her. Something or to worshiping the devil. And yeah. Worshiping yeah. the devil. It's like a throwaway thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then later on, Kat becomes who? Joan which is so close to Jim. Yeah. I can't believe that's like an accident. Right, right. Yeah, no. And so it's just little things like that almost make me feel like it might have worked better as a short story. Absolutely. It actually does feel like like I don't know. I'm not going to say literary, but like I could definitely feel this being you know, a, a sort of written text in a way, and maybe the impressions yeah. being more strongly conveyed there. I mean, it, right now, I just feel like, I don't know, there's there's a there's a heavy reliance on the sort of stillness and quietness. And part of me, there there are aspects that work really well. I I definitely believe that. And then there are other times where yeah. it almost feels like, it's like he's he's leaning on that silence in order to uh you know make more of a deal of something that's maybe not that big a deal if that makes sense um in terms of like the story is maybe in some ways very it's a very it's it's not a it's not a bad story it's just sort of a thin story and that by layering, maybe it doesn't warrant this level of, you know, ominous, you know, camera moves and these long takes and I don't know. But I do, you know. I mean, I think my thing with this movie, having seen it now probably three, maybe four times since. Um, <clears throat> this was only my second time, actually, weirdly. So I have actually seen it more. And like, so it does make sense that I would, you know, naturally be a little bored with right, it. Right, right, right. Um, I think where the film shines is there are certain shots that are very Absolutely. like you see you know he has a very distinct style and like frankly anyone working in film right now that has a style that I can go hey that's Oz Perkins like that's yeah, a gift because yeah. so much shit is trying to look exactly the same right right, right 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 and he, but yeah go ahead yeah I mean I think it's really just going back now for a fourth time it's really just like a show for uh, Shipka and emma roberts yeah it's almost like a real yeah 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 and i mean it's funny to watch shipka in this for me because shortly after this i saw this in 2017 she did uh uh sabrina on netflix chilling adventures of sabrina and yeah, yeah. that was like a totally different witch thing and a totally different performance from her and you know 
hard to take seriously, let's say. Um, so when I watch this again... Well, I think the most compelling thing, though, is like going from Shipko to Emma Roberts and seeing Emma Roberts trying to play like a, a Shipka that's been institutionalized and yeah. is like so like warped by time. But I think the thing I like, I like Emma Roberts. I just, I don't know if she necessarily pulls it off. Right. But like the other thing is like, how much does she have to work with? Because it's like, the thing is, Oh, there's not because much, like, yeah. what do we really know about, Shipka, you know, we know that she's lost her parents. Is is that's the first thing we get? Is she has this sort of um, premonitory dream where she sees the, yeah, yeah. and I think this is one of the strong images in the film is the wreck of the car. Oh, I think you know, so too. Very yeah. very desolate, you know, the black uh, wreck standing out against the snow. Um, but beyond that, we we learn that she's sort of awkward and ungainly and kind of too attached to the staff in some ways as maybe substitute parents. Um, but that's not, you know, a heavy level of scaffolding to uh, build like the older incarnation on. And it's just like what, what didn't. So I guess I'll just get to the point. What, what didn't, yeah. what wasn't quite sold for me is the sort of central crux of the film's final act where, the demon leaves a cat and she wants it to come back, right? So I think that's a super interesting idea. Which I think is a great story. Yeah. Like, again, if that was in a short story, I think that'd be a great end. I still think it's a great ending. It's a, no, it's saying. a great, like, conceptually, I love it, right? Because that's like, you know, the opposite of what you normally get again. Yeah, it's not what you're expecting. You're thinking she's trying to avoid this demon when really she's been trying to run back to it yeah, this whole time. But what I didn't get, what I didn't quite get is... I mean, a strong sense of why this relationship with the demon was fulfilling for her and that sense of loss, you know, that it just didn't. No, yeah, I will give you that. It, it feels a bit hollow. Because I, there wasn't any sense of like, you know, why, what she was yearning for in her life that, that this demon filled. You know that her parents died, Um but that's that's a new development, you know, and it's it's just that sense of loneliness. It was a little thinly sketched for me, um, but that's not. I'll say this, and this is going to be unpopular, mm -hmm. but, you know, I read a lot of modern stuff, watch a lot of modern stuff. Yeah, I think we have a reliance lately on not having a linear timeline. And I think often people use that to cover up the fact that they sort of don't have as much of a story in a right. like like you right. said. If you put Black Oats Tartar from the beginning to the end in a regular linear fashion, it doesn't play even as well as it plays now. Right, because it's it's simply like, you know, it's it's a very the only innovation in the demon structure is that she wants the demon to come back. That's like that's the main. Yeah. Um yeah. and then but I just think nothing about Nothing about the construction of the film. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there are there are sometimes when it's mosaic and hopping back and forth in time where it's brilliant and it, it like, enhances the... Yeah, world. I think for me, the successful element of the jumping isn't even the uh, Jones stuff, but the fact that in Kat's chapter, we see that she's been having this sort of relationship 
with the demon for like a week or two where she's like on the phone and it's with her when it's yeah so yeah. like you know that stuff is good because as you know as horror um it often does and it's 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 a fun thing is you know recontextualizing earlier moments that we saw and revealing that oh they were creepy in some way right like that that's very successful yeah. i think but the stuff with joan i mean you get the sense especially on a first viewing it's just like who is this person you know what's the what are we seeing here right and it gradually builds to that reveal that it's just cat older um and that i mean recently i rewatched. um Speaking of films, I sort of liked the first time I didn't as much right. in the second. I rewatched Last Night in Soho, yeah, yeah. and it reminded me a lot because it's like, because it's like ultimately, what is the character other than scared? Yeah, I I was very um, I was I was disappointed with Last Night in Soho because. Um, well, I think it's similar where it's like visually it's interesting, yeah. but it doesn't have much going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I felt that that film, um, I mean, that film I still will maintain has a really strong first act. You know, like the first, the whole thing where she first goes into the dream and it's like a cool setup. But, you know, I. Well, last, last night, night in Soho, Soho, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, I would um, say that. But then it's like, I mean, that's another thing where. Frankly, like the people at the story center are almost kind of blank slates. Like we get the sense that like uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's character, she's nostalgic for the 60s and kind of lonely. But that's the main thing, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, I felt, so, I mean, unpopular as well. And we'll cover men eventually. Oh, yeah. Think, Let's, but... we should talk about men. <laughs> We should, but I felt similar where it's like, I love Jesse Buckley, but like, what are you giving her to do other than I, <laughs> I'm every woman. Yeah, like, I, I really, um, that movie is flawed, very flawed. And I, I think. I will say flawed, yes, but I mean, maybe we save that for. Yeah, for and that, I just so. want to be clear, though, just about this general discussion. Um, it's not like I have a problem in and of itself with. Uh, allegorical characters or, or... No, I don't either. I mean, I'm blanking on any movie Well, from uh, right now that has, like, a stand-in, but, you know, like, I go to Death Stranding every time someone talks about, like, thin characterization. Like, Norman Reedus in Right, that, right, right. He is, like, I'm a no person. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I still like the story, though, because it's like he's my stand-in. Right. And even, you know, the movie that Men is drawing on, certainly, I've, I've mentioned it on, is obviously Antichrist, which the leads in yeah, that yeah. aren't even... Oh, yeah, they're also they're, they're she and he, you know, they're men and woman, you know, that's they're they're obviously meant to be like sort of symbolic on some level. But where I think... Right. But like the difference is you go back to Antichrist... And it's like compelling in a way that, um, well, Black Coat's daughter, Frank. And also, not. I think that it's a black, not a Black Coat's daughter. The Black Coat's daughter is obviously trying to get this, like, kind of at least grounded portrait of a person, you know, which Antichrist is totally yeah. not about, like, right, the no, inner right. lives of the people. It's It's about. You know, it's this externalization of of their you know gender war or whatever. But in this movie, it's like 
I I never like maybe it's the point that she's sort of an empty person. I could I could see that, but like I just never feel like I quite got inside her loneliness and isolation and that's why the ending fails to quite hit for me. Like it's a great it should be a great moment that she's she's out on the street and the demon hasn't come back and she's sort of breaking down and in misery and sobbing and it it should be really powerful but i mean what's funny about that moment is like i almost feel like well if you're doing the back and forth time hopping thing you do it then yeah you you cut intercutting could have helped joan and cat in like a similar spot and kind of do yeah yeah no it definitely that could have benefited um that moment i think because joan isn't a character we get particularly attached to in the same way. Honestly, the character, and I'm not just saying this because she's the most conventionally uh, likable or whatever, but the only character we really kind of click to in a personal way is Rose um, because we get a sense of her life and in a way that we really don't get with, with Kat, which is a problem because she is, you know, the the emotional crux of the movie. (laughs) So I mean, I've railed against this mm-hmm. lately, but, and I need to watch how I phrase it, mm-hmm. but I do think we suffer sometimes lately. Every Everything is political. I'm not saying yeah. everything is not yeah. political, but I am saying sometimes things are maybe trying to be too overtly political and the detriment is character. Right. like, right. If, if man is a stand-in for all men... Well. Suddenly, you don't want to give man specific characteristics. Right. Well, it's even, or same with woman. Right. But it's even deeper than politics in terms of like I find, and this is one of the most commonly. It could just be laziness. Well, it's 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 one of the most commonly cited problems with these movies, um, according to their critics, anyway, where everything is put in service of this allegory, right? Like, there's an allegory. It doesn't even have to be a political allegory. But the horror is always a metaphor, right? You know? But that can sometimes mean that you don't have a feel for the actual impact of of the horror itself, you know? Like, I mean, you know, I watched this awful not awful but i watched this um taiwanese movie recently called the sadness right oh that's gonna be i mean i've heard people that really love it but yes it's well okay so here's the thing that interested me as a counterpoint it is very obviously um doesn't have anything to say about the world really like there are a few scenes where they draw like a covid thing but obviously it's like a dead end because that's not what COVID was like. And, you know, there's, there's nothing, you know, it's not really trying to be an allegory for anything, but at the same time, there's a certain visceral, not just even in terms of gore, but in terms of just experiential, there's, there's an impact to it that, you know, that these movies, some of which are more conceptual or ideas based sometimes miss, I think. Um, you know, like hereditary is the sweet spot for me because. Well, because it you can take away the allegorical stuff and it still works as like a scare. Right. And you film. can take away the scares and still good have a. And it still works. Whereas as an al- some yeah. of these wobble, I think. And 
I think you got to split the difference, and lately people have not been splitting the right. di- or indeed maybe for a while people have not been splitting the difference. Like that was my issue with Matt. Right. Again, we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, there was this one tweet. I don't like to cite Twitter, but I saw a lot of our circle because we're in a horror circle. Sean and I are, yeah. are you know, that's the that's the community we traffic in, and um, I saw a lot of people dunking on this where it was criticizing men but also a variety of other phones where the the thing is that there's one monolithic idea and it's meant to be decoded and explained to you right um and that's certainly the case with with some films uh, men and and certainly i also think last night in soho is that way um um, i would say so but I don't think the Black Coat's daughter falls in that group simply because I don't know if it's if it's communicating anything on a on a right. I just don't think it it it, it almost when I say it's a nothing <laughs> film. I actually like the film yeah. a lot, but like that's the film is like the point is there's not yeah. there's not much I guess to the characters and and it's about emptiness yeah. I guess and maybe that's intentional because there is this motif of like the demon leaves you and you're empty right and um or you know the furnace that like gave you yeah. the furnace and later on when you visit there's no light yeah. in it anymore. or even this sort of like Rose has thinks she has a baby and she doesn't oh right she thinks she's pregnant and then so she there's doesn't. this recurring motif of of emptiness throughout um that i don't know if that it doesn't really build to anything necessarily but there's this i mean maybe that's a self-conscious gesture but i just don't anyway to, to sum it up i don't think this is a bad movie at all and no i like this movie i do think if you put it like pound for pound next to other horror films it's one of the better right. horror films. Um, certainly of the past, what, seven-ish years, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would say definitely of the last seven I, years. I just sure. don't think it's uh, quite a success in... I mean... I think it's just a little thin in a way. It's hard yeah. to yeah. It's, it's There's a... I mean, could have could have had a little more, more meat on its bones and... I mean, this is the same critique, though, that I Am the Pretty Thing gets, and I really... Well... But again, I haven't watched Pretty Thing in a couple of years, but I'm fairly sure I would think it... My one thing... The thing about I Am the Pretty Thing is, like, it's so about a single person being, like, in a place that I think his style lends itself to that better than this one, where it's trying to be maybe the... multiple people but like kind of focusing on right. one person and then how they change well, over time well, which well I also necessarily i mean like i haven't seen i am the pretty thing that lives in the house but i definitely think his style is much more suited to ghosts as a subject you know or or you know a haunted house than it is quite to demon ritual stuff I mean, I have to say, though, the thing that I still love about Black mm-hmm. Coat's daughter is the subtlety. Right. Because it's like the devil is always just sort of this like shadowy figure in the corner that might have horns. It almost looks like a rabbit. Yeah, it's it's, it was an interesting devil, you know. But like that thing is like, you know, it's interesting that it's there. And, you know, there are interesting things like um, in the beginning of the film when she's 
uh, called into the uh, the headmaster's office, yeah, I guess. There's a chair to the left of her. And she's sort of here. looking at it and smiling and, you know, whispering. And I had heard an interview with him where he said intentionally he would do a lot of framing like that where something on the left side would be yeah. empty, kind of insinuating something. Yeah, an, an unseen presence, which you can definitely notice more on yeah. the on repeat viewings and and even stuff right i yeah. thought this I mean, was but that but the thing is the reason i go back to the exorcist and love the exorcist is it's it's very over the top and it's got that it's got the gore and the reason i like the exorcist show is a similar reason and rosemary's baby it's got the visuals um so yeah. i think what black coats dot ironically i think the the gift and the curse of Black Oat's daughter is that it is so subtle and so in the oeuvre of like demonic possession movies, it stands out. But on the other hand, that's the reason that I think it maybe fails as a film yeah, in general. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, I shouldn't say fails. That's well, rude. I don't mean fails because I feel like it works as a film. I'm just saying it's not like incredible like I yeah, thought yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wanted to just quickly note the rather cute detail that once. Uh, once um uh Karen and Shifka is possessed, she start she comes in wearing a red sweater and Joan's wearing a red leather jacket. Totally intentional that she's, you know, wearing the because otherwise you see her in drab blues, right? And it's very I, I thought yeah, that was yeah, no, I true. thought that was cute. In terms of like, you know, it was like a like a very like the most banal demonic materialization that you could have in a good way which i think is what this film is trying to do is that it's trying to bring that sort of over-the-top story not down to a level of reality but to a less um flamboyant or or you know intense version that you see in in other exorcist movies but yeah i mean i mean i think that where the film succeeds is it does in many ways, it feels like yeah, yeah. I mean, right down to like people not reacting. Yeah, or the stuff. or the sort of stilted, intentionally, I think, dialogue where you know there's long pauses and uh, people speak a little almost theatrically at points. Definitely, the adult uh, figures in the film are are kind of almost uh, you know there's an artificiality to their dialogue. Yeah, and I mean, I do think one thing that the film succeeds with is. For a little bit, it's, uh, and obviously when you've seen it more than once, this goes out the window, but for a little bit, they are playing around with who is who. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, like, they almost imply that Rose might end up being uh, Joan. Yeah, or that for a time you think Joan is coming to the school, and it's like a suspense thing. um, Yeah, yeah, but so so in that regard, where it's sort of like hopping back and forth, and there's like the tension of like, who is James Remar's character? I think he does. Yeah, he's good. He's good. As the father of the murdered girl. And, you know, sort of like, why does he like her? And is he like trying to hit on her? And, you know, so like that stuff plays, but that's not really horror movie stuff. That's almost more. Yeah. Yeah. There's a heavy, uh, a heavy mystery element to it almost. Um, Yeah. It's, I mean, to me, uh, at the end of the day, I think, where this most succeeds for me as a, as, as a sort of, um, you know, intriguingly sideways variation on the demon possession genre. Like, I actually think, you know, because, you know, with all of these movies, you're talking about there's 
there's a horror part and then there's like a drama part, you know, or a sort of emotional thing. And I think the emotional stuff is very underbaked, but I find the demon possession stuff yeah. kind of interesting. Um, and, you know, definitely a, a change for the genre. So I think that, you know, where I, when I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting and cool is, is the stuff with, you know, sort of the idea of like a very subtle, um, character based demon possession movie. And then where I'm, I think it's less successful is with that, um, you know, emotional narrative beneath it. Um, but definitely like, you know, you could definitely enjoy this movie. I mean, it's, it's a good movie uh on on many levels i almost feel like yeah i do like the movie but i almost feel like what's more interesting about it is what someone inspired by it might make yeah i i think um this could you know form the grounds for someone else to experiment in a way that's maybe more satisfying to me um yeah yeah but i do i do i mean you know closing out i did i did want to mention i do think it might be also i'm not saying it's not it doesn't have its flaws obviously we've just gone over the flaws in depth um i do wonder though if it's a night of the living dead style problem where i know you know obviously i'm i was born Mm -hmm. in the 80s so you go back to night of the living dead that was made in i think the 60s 70s 60s um and by the time you've gone back to night of the living dead you're kind of like, oh, what's the big deal? It's doing, like, people trapped in a house and they're zombies. I mean, Dawn of the Dead's done that already. Right. And, you know, this and Evil Dead and this and that and that. And it's, like, easy to forget, like, Night of the Living Dead was one of the yeah. first. And that's why it's, like, regarded so highly. Yeah. And I, I think, I do wonder how much of this maybe is an A24 problem, as I said, where it's like we've seen so many narratives now that are so similar that, like, no matter what, there's going to be a better movie, like a better Right. Well, of that's this. the thing. That's that's an interesting difference here is that we've talked about before, like, I grew up with these movies, right? Like, this was my, you know, the A24 stuff was my adolescent horror uh, experience, right? Whereas for you, you know, you've seen a, a multiple trends rise and fall at this point. Oh, yeah. I've seen the 90s teen slasher. Yeah. I've seen the early 2000s sort of like remake of older, you know, like 13 Ghosts. Yeah. And like the, the House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. Or and, and whenever I'm sort of like maybe naysaying, you know, some of the A24 output. You know, you're like, well, you don't know, like, <laughs> you know, it's. I'm like, you don't remember what yeah. it was like, you know, so, like, like compared to say, um, I don't know, like one of the worst horror films from the 2000s, say, like Black Coat's Daughter is like Oscar. Yeah, right, winning, right, right. You know? So, you know, I, you know, I don't want to be too harsh because definitely there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here that. And I mean, it's a first film yeah. too. It's like, you know, I think it's important maybe to see uh, Gretel and Hansel, and like, I think I would go back to that a couple more times and still yeah. enjoy it, and to realize like, oh well, I mean, if it's your first film, sometimes it doesn't. Still you don't figuring know. stuff out. You just aren't. 
And I got yeah. that sense with this one, but you know. I will say Elvis Perkins, like from day one, has been yeah, he's killing good because he's done the scores for like everything Oz has done. They're good and like almost more so than the films. I will go yeah, back to I, Elvis Perkins I, without stuff. being too demeaning. I I do think the score is maybe the most successful formal element here, not just the thing is like later on, like and even in Black Coat's Daughter, Oz Perkins has a very specific style, and some people. Maybe rightly so, say it's way too slow. It's almost like watching a painting dry. <laughs> but sometimes they're compelling paintings. Yeah, yeah. It, it all depends on the beholder, you know? That's that's the main thing. You, but I will say, yeah, staring at a spoon. It was, yeah. Like, I okay, definitely think he, he laid on the portent a little thick for, for a thin story. Um, well, that's another thing about I Am the Pretty Thing that I think I preferred was like there did seem to be like more of an actual story you know it's like this uh home health worker who comes to live with this older woman who was basically shirley yeah. jackson you know like she wrote these like 60s style like horror movie or sorry horror book yeah. thrillers and she got famous off of those and now she's taking care of that woman who was in her i don't know late 70s and has dementia yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's getting into like you know, ghosts and dementia. And I think it's more interesting because the story part of it has more. Going yeah. On. Yeah. I, I definitely like to see that at some stage. Um, I, I still hear the same critique of, I am the pretty thing though, that I hear and indeed feel with uh, black coat's <laughs> daughter where it's like, it just stretches and maybe people will feel like, nothing. well, it's not even that nothing. It, it, there's on. a, there's a suspicion that he's stretching to conceal his lack of, you know, lack of a, a, a real story that he wants to tell. Um, I guess the thing is Gretel and Hansel. I feel like I can go back and enjoy, even though it's vaguely yeah. a mood piece. Uh, Black Oat's daughter is entirely yeah. a mood piece and I wasn't in the mood and it totally <laughs> yeah. doesn't for me this view. Um, I feel like I am the pretty thing is also mostly mood piece, but I could still go back and enjoy it just for like, you know, the, the sound mixing work and the score yeah. and some I'd, of the I'd like to watch it at some point, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when I, when I do, well, I mean, we got to do that symposium, but we'll discuss it at some point, but, um, yeah, till then, yeah. I mean, yeah, watch, you know, as as Sean just said, you know, if you're in the mood for something like this, it's well worth watching. But, you know, it may not be for you. It may be wonderful. I mean, we're also very, we're harsh critics in the fact that both of us, maybe you so more than me, when we like a film, we'll watch it like yeah. four times or whatever, which is not the no, norm. not for most people, no. And I do wonder if maybe Black Coat's Daughter is just one of those movies where it's like a... You watch it twice, and maybe that's how it yeah, should be Yeah, I mean, I didn't, um, I even liked it back in, um, when I saw it in, when I was 15, I liked it a lot more than I do now. And even then, yeah. I only watched it the one time and was like, yeah, I can just let that sit for a while. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, not every movie's is like works. Yeah, rewatch. It's not. This one isn't. This one isn't like an inexhaustible well to me. You know, it's it's. No, it absolutely isn't. I feel like by watch two, I was already like, yeah, okay, that's. But know. it's. Needless to say, by watch four, you're yeah, like, yeah, it's we got it's it. a but it's a tight um, you know, 
tight runtime. It's at least short, you know, it's an hour and a half. I do think there's I do think it's worth watching. I do think it's yeah. a good movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not a not just maybe yeah, a little flat. That's, yeah, that's that's about all. I I would agree with that. <laughs> um yeah. Okay. Um yeah. yeah. But in any case, yeah, I think we're running out of time, so um you know, check us out on anchor.fm. Uh, we're on Twitter at Celluloid Sits. Uh, we have a YouTube. I've been <laughs> updating it very, very slowly because I have a lot of episodes to update. But maybe with the extra time I have, because I'm planning on doing less episodes for season three, maybe with that extra time I actually get the back catalog up on YouTube. There's no, uh, you know, there's no rush, but YouTube's fun. And also, for the love of God, people, we've got like eighty something episodes before this one. So please go back and like actually yeah. explore. Like I know how it works. You find the movie you want to watch or listen about, and then you only listen to that one. But like, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, unlike unlike the Black Coat's daughter, we we really unlike are the Black Coat's daughter. There's a lot going on on yeah. multiple. We, we are an inexhaustible well. Um, so <laughs> you know. Uh, Give it a give it a listen. Um, there's there's plenty to enjoy, you know. Even if you even if you know you you totally disagree with what we say about any given movie, but you know, that's yeah. that's fair, yeah. Um, but until next time, I'm Sean. I'm Thompson. I'm Brian O'Connell. And uh, yeah, a literal black. You know the one thing about the title before we leave. Yes. Yeah. I, I, what is it relating to? I mean, I know it's the devil, but like, well, you know, frankly, there was like the second or third shot there. She's up in bed and she says father because it's like a priest and his black coat is taking up <laughs> like the left. OK, half of the all brain. right. All right. So and I'm wondering if coat. that was it. But what, what, what Osgood Perkins really said is because. A24 wanted a more genre title than February, and they were giving him. I can't imagine what titles they gave him, but um, he said he's probably like the best one, I assume. Well, but he said he picked this one because at the, st- at the start of the film, you hear Elvis Perkins sing a little song, uh, Deedle Deedle, Black Coat's Daughter, What Was in the Holy Water. Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's a good you know sort of it could be anything you know in terms of uh could be the devil could be the, the priest, priest or it could, could be, be her, her okay, dead dad. fine fine okay i'll give it to him little little bit of a all right okay i still think of it as february is the better title but um yeah there you go um black coat's daughter <laughs> indeed. indeed okay now i'm gonna stop it okay